I want to pray for Roger this morning. Roger Riggs, you're, you're here. Um, Roger is um, heading out to Brazil again. Um, how many times have you gone to Brazil, brother? I've lost count over 12 years. It's over 100. <laughs> over 100 trips to Brazil. Well, I just want to pray for him. Um, God is, has been, I've known Roger for a lot of years, and I'm sure there was a time in his life as there was in mine where we have shaken our head and go, why would God use anyone like us? Is that true? Yeah, <laughs> I know it's true for me. <laughs> but it's just, uh, you know, testimony that Jesus loves us and just wants to use anybody. Although I have an answer for you for that. Go ahead. He gave it to me in scripture this morning. Of course, I never remember the name of the scriptures, but it's because of the love of his people. Whoa, that's good. So uh, let's pray together for Roger, and uh, Lord, thank you that it is, it is because of the love of your people that actually any of us are in your kingdom. It's because you first loved us, and you're drawing uh, more and more um, of your people into your presence. So Lord, we go forward with the message of the love of God. Lord, we go forward with the message of the reconciliation that you've already done for us. And we uh, make our appeal, um, Lord, to those around us, be it in this country or in Brazil or other countries of the earth, uh, that men and women can now be reconciled to God. Uh, Lord, would you forgive us for making things more complicated than they really are? Lord, forgive us. I'm not praying for Roger. I'm praying more for me. Uh, that would you forgive us where we've, where we've just tried to understand things with our finite mind uh, when, in fact, you've just said, go uh, and declare the good news to all creatures. Uh, disciple them, baptize them, and teach them. Lord, thank you for my brother and for his willingness to go, and we pray your protection around him. And, Lord, thank you that you have provided for this trip. And, Lord, for those that are yet to come, that are yet future, we pray, God, that you would provide, that you would protect, and that you would expand your kingdom uh, through each one of us. Bless my brother here today and give you thanks for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you're leaving Wednesday for this, Wednesday. this trip? Second Chronicles 2, by the Second way. Second Chronicles 2. God bless you, brother. <laughs> Amen. I did one of those this morning in the first service. I know there's a scripture, but I have no clue where it is. I can't remember. Um, Thomas, where are you? Uh, Thomas, there you are. <laughs> uh, stand up, brother. I got I got kind of an encouragement for you. I've just been, I've been watching, and um, it isn't my watching that is the reason for the word, but it's the Lord is watching you, uh, and He sees you running around with a heart to serve to do whatever is in your uh, sphere of influence. You will pick up paper off the floor. You will take computers down yonder and plug them in. You will, your heart is to serve. And uh, the Lord just wants me to share with you that he sees and he's pleased, not with your performance so much as with your heart, just to love him and do whatever he sets before you. And... Uh, God's got some big things in store for you and for every one of us who will simply go, here am I, send me. Uh, some of you get around, um, Thomas, let's pray for him, shall we? Uh, God, you've set in him the heart of a worshiper. And uh, Lord, you have yet to reveal to him all that's in your heart and in his destiny. Uh, but Lord, I want to thank you that you see and that you would say to Thomas, Thomas, I am your father. I'm your daddy. <laughs> um, you can rest in me, and you can be assured that I'm going to accomplish in you all that is in my heart for you. Uh, so learn to rest and learn to continue to commune and love me and respond to me, and your paths will become straight, your destiny more clear, and uh, you will turn around at some point, yet future, and uh, sort of scratch your head and go, how in the world did I get here? God is amazing. 
And I know you already know that, uh, Thomas, but we just bless you today, and we thank you for who God is in you, and uh, we just encourage you in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Sorry, brother, if I embarrassed you. <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> well, you know, when we were singing this song, um, it was really funny this morning when we were singing, and not funny, but you know what I mean. When we were singing this song, um, something about sing his praise, sing it loud. Sing his praise, sing it loud. I thought, it isn't the verbalizing of praise in a loud manner that's pleasing to God. But it's the declaring in a loud manner in our hearts who God is. Now, some of you have not yet um, fully experienced that. Stepping across the line into singing his praise loud in your heart. When that happens, God moves heaven and earth on our behalf. God we're told, in fact, inhabits the praises of his people. So sing it loud. Sing it with all your might. Get outside of yourself and your inhibitions, you know, and begin to declare into the heavens who God is and who you are in him and what he's doing in this realm. And I promise you, you'll never be the same. So somebody say amen while I get a drink of water. Okay, uh, I want to share this morning, we have been uh, talking about this notion of a shift, a royal shift, uh, whereby God around the globe, from my perspective, and corroborated by many, there's the sense that God is moving the church at large from a place where she has been to a place of his calling, to the place of his direction. So this is a royal shift by which many of us are coming out of slavery into sonship. We're coming out of um, 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 oldness into newness. We're coming out of death into life. We can use all of those metaphors. Uh, but God's doing something on the earth right now that's causing his people to go somewhere, not stay somewhere. Uh, so it's that going, shifting, discerning, this morning that I want to talk about. Last week, if you were here, you might recall that I talked about this notion from John chapter 15, verse 15, that said, Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing. I call you friends. And, and friends, what makes us a friend is that God the Father reveals his heart to us, to his friends. Uh, so all of his friends, therefore... Uh, can hear the voice of God. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. God said, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends because a friend knows what the Father's doing. Now, if you don't like that scripture, we can look, go back to John chapter 10 where Jesus said, my sheep, everybody, hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. So it's the hearing of the voice of God that makes you unique and royal and different. That's good. Uh, okay, well, now, I came across a survey. Actually, as I was reading, I came across a survey that in a major university, um, there was a study that concluded that human beings hear approximately 1,200 words a minute kind of subconsciously. We'd go crazy if we heard them all. You know, but subconsciously, we hear about 1,200 words a minute. The bad news is that about 1,100 of them are negative. Does that surprise anybody? Which means 100 of them, or a little bit less than 10%, I guess, are actually positive. Now, the reason why that's so sort of astonishing is that um, the, this average person subconsciously has inner voices that are, that are always vying for the, what we're talking about this morning is hearing the voice of the Lord. So if, it, if that study is true, and I can't prove it, that there are 1,100 words a minute, or 1,200 words a minute, 1,100 that are negative, 100 that are positive, 
that would suggest that you and I have a problem, that we agree often with the negativity that is uh, within us. And uh, I, I guess you could conclude a whole lot of things from that, that there's no wonder there's all kinds of, of um, mental pathologies in the world, some of which are not rooted in, in physiological or chemical reality. They're actually rooted in uh, paying attention and agreeing with all the negative. I know there are other you know, pathologies that are chemically, you know, that's not what I'm talking about here. Um, the enemy is an accuser. The enemy is a thief. The enemy is a liar. And uh, God wants us to hear and to speak and to live and to act a certain way. So prophetic people, um, that is people who hear uh, and so live to be a blessing to Jesus, um, must begin to hear accurately and speak accurately um, uh, lest we agree with the enemy. Now this negativity can become a lens through which we see all of life if we're not real careful. We can be born again and baptized in the Spirit and love Jesus and still walk around with this big... You know, we can see people through this lens of negativity. Uh, and if we're really not careful then, our lives take on these negative overturns. Now, all you know what I'm talking about, or at least know people uh, like that. So um, let me kind of throw this up here. We're, what we're talking about this morning is hearing the voice of the Spirit and how to specifically differentiate between the thoughts, my thoughts, and God's thoughts. Um, and then uh, inside of me lives a human spirit, used to be dead, and coming to Jesus, my little dead, shriveled-up spirit was given life. And I became a, 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 an alive, uh, born again, if you allow that biblical terminology. I became a living um, uh, believer in Jesus. And when that happened, uh, something simultaneously happened for us on, this, on that side of the cross. Well, this side of the cross, looking back. Um, the Spirit of God then came and dwelt within us. Uh, so I have a human spirit uh, that's been made new, and I have a Holy Spirit. Now, negativity can still, if we're not careful, be the lenses through which we see all of life. Um, what is required, what begins the process of starting to hear the voice of God, remember that's what we're talking about, hearing, what begins the process is the recognition that God's made us new. Now, that in and of itself doesn't change anything, but it begins the process. And then secondly, uh, not only is our heart new, but he has transformed our mind and actually given us the mind of Jesus. Uh, so now I got my mind and Jesus' mind, you know, I'm rolling around in there, and I still, God has to sort that out. Um, and then he gives us core values um, of the kingdom that keep us flowing in the heart of the Father. Now, where do core values come from? Uh, core values come from reading the word. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Uh, thy word have I hidden in my heart so that I know how to walk, so that I might not sin against you. You hear what I'm saying? So I have a renewed heart. I have a transformed mind. And I'm beginning then to live my life according to core values that come to me from the word. We call them uh, kingdom core uh, values. Now, um, as a... As prophetic people, we need to discern the heart of God rather than the, our own individual thoughts. So uh, let's look at a scripture in Acts chapter um, 11, and I think this is the wrong scripture. I think that's Acts uh, 11, verse 27. Now this scripture... Uh, in the book of Acts was in the flow and the momentum um, of the New Testament people of God. Now here's what the scripture said. I put it in my little notes here, but it's the very same ones from the New King James. It says this, in Acts chapter 11, verse, um, I think it is 27, um, in these days uh, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, then one of them was named Agabus, he stood up and he showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. Everybody say, oh, that's bad news. Famines aren't good, right? 
So he stood up by the Spirit, and he declared that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, uh, which then also happened. Now, the writer of of Acts, um, presumably Luke, he not only knew about this, but he said they came down, the prophet spoke, there's going to be a famine, and at the writing of this, it actually had happened. So there was fulfillment, so he says, and which also happened in the day of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, according to their ability, determined to send relief to the brethren uh, dwelling in uh, Judea. Now, the reason why I share that this morning is um, uh, you and I need to be very careful what we hear and what we speak Um, now what I want you to see here in this one example and there's a number of them in the the New Testament um, is that um, Agabus um, was actually prophesying out of some core values in his life now uh, what you don't see here is that and before we jump to um, Matthew 6 what we don't see here is um, Agabus saying There's a great famine coming upon the earth and God is really mad with His people. It's because of your sin. Y'all got real quiet. That's not what Agabus said. Now that doesn't mean God doesn't get angry at times. It doesn't mean that we don't have sin at times. What it means is that sometimes the prophets... Um, prophesy out of the lens of their own negativity rather than out of the heart of the Father. Now, let me, let me kind of try to unpack this a little bit um, for you. Uh, when we prophesy from uh, core values, uh, that, that causes... Uh, here, here, there's a great disaster. There's a famine that's coming. And it's because of, and we feel it. We, we, it's, there, were, there were Christians being killed at this time. God should have been mad. There was sin in the ranks of the people of God, like in every generation, then and now. And, and, but Agabus didn't say what I've already mentioned. Now, when we prophesy, here's the, here, see, I'm teaching on hearing God and how to speak what God is speaking and how to keep the core values in line so that we speak out of what what is really the heart of the Father rather than what is Steve's uh, 1,100 words versus, you know, 100 good words. Follow what I'm saying? So that I don't bring to the task of prophesying out of my own disappointment with God, out of my own hurt for whatever, out of my wishing the world would be different. Agabus said there's going to be a famine and you can give something to the poor folks that are going to be much poorer than you and that's what they did. Now, therefore, um, uh, Agabus didn't prophesy natural disaster that all natural disaster comes from the hand of God. Here's the point. When we prophesy from core values that God causes all natural disaster, we teach pre-Christians, that is people that aren't yet Christians, and immature Christians Um, that everything that goes wrong in the world is God's fault. Does that seem a little strange to you? And yet, that's sometimes what the church does because we have this lens of the 1100 and there is secondarily a mixture of Old Testament law in us that we've not yet fully been grasped by the grace of God, the radical nature of the grace of God, such that I put the magnifying glass up at people and I go, oh, honey, you're, you're in trouble. You see what I'm saying? Uh, or prophesy out of, out of that. Now, let me... Um, here's, here's what Jesus said. Beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, what's that? Now, Jesus wasn't a baker. He was a carpenter. But y'all know what leaven is. It's yeast or it's, you know, in fact, one translation says, be careful of the yeast of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, what is this leaven? The leaven was the mixture of the law. They couldn't understand gospel because of law. They didn't see the visitation that God had given them in the coming of Jesus because he didn't conform to their expectations. Everybody hold your magnifying glass up and say, we got 1,100 words a minute in our mind and Jesus doesn't fit my understanding. See, so they had this mixture 
then of the law, they brought a mixture of law and misunderstanding and misapplication of the gospel. See, that's my point. Uh, so that everything that goes wrong, all natural disaster that happens in the world, are actually the consequences of sin, and God's hopping mad about it. Hello? Does that ring true to you about the gospel of, of Jesus? Uh, well, God's wrath was, in fact, poured out on a person. And he had a name. And his name was Jesus. Now, let me just clarify for those of you who are going, you know, I deserve death in my sin. In fact, I was already dead in my sin. And I deserved eternal death in my sin. But God had another choice. Somebody say, God had another choice. God sent his son so that I would not have to pay the penalty for my sin. In fact, God's justice was satisfied and the punishment was laid on another. Can anybody proof text that for me somewhere? Yell it out. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Comes from, come on, Doug. Isaiah 53. You see, God sent his son to, to fix the mess that I was in. Through the cross, God is extending mercy and forgiveness to billions of people around the earth right now. We're living in this time called an age of grace. I know some of you don't like grace all that much because you don't like people all that much. The fact of the matter is, some of you don't like grace that much because you've not yet figured out the gospel applies to you. Therefore, you're giving mercy to yourself and forgiveness to yourself and justice and judgment to everybody else around you. Now, that's for the church at large so that I stay out of trouble so somebody isn't thinking, well, he's looking at me. No, I'm not. I just know people because I was like that. Now... Uh, the, the point here is that God no longer uh, has to create justice through judgment. So that when, you know, um, uh, San Francisco goes through a tremor and an earthquake, God's angry. Well, maybe. But maybe those little tectonic plates, you know, way down below there started to move around a little bit, and we're not living on terra firma. Firma isn't all that terra, or terra isn't all that firma. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes things shake. God, therefore, isn't always at the root of everything that happens in our lives. Now, let's push this a little bit forward. James says that's why mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, can you laugh at yourself here a little bit this morning? Come on, laugh at yourself. I have actually preached things and then had to come back and publicly say, that was really stupid. Now, you might be sitting here saying, that's what you're doing right now, and I don't think I am. But see, I have said things in my immaturity. You have said things and done things in your immaturity that are absolutely contra-gospel. So let's push this a little bit further, this little... Uh, this little ball down the field just a little bit um, further and say, you know, uh, God has said, here's what I've heard people say, and I've, I've just agreed with them. If God doesn't judge this generation, he's going to have to stand up and apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I went, yeah. And then I went, do you think God's going to stand up and apologize to anybody? The God who spoke it all into existence, do you think he's going to... See, God's still going to judge those who reject Jesus, but to put everything upon, you know, in the plate of, A, God's angry, and it's because of your sin. No, Jesus already dealt with my sin, and God's no longer angry at me. That's what propitiation is. The wrath of God is turned away from us and put on another who wore a crown and died on a cross like that. Therefore, you can quit beating yourself. I just saw this on the Discovery Channel. This poor, you know, in darkness lost guy was beating himself. I don't know if he's Hindu or Muslim or what he was or just nothing. Just like to beat himself. Stop beating yourself. Jesus took the beating for you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't mess up. I do it all the time. 
But it means when you begin to understand the grace of God and how enormous it is for you, you begin to be set free to see God for who he really is, who you are for who you really are, and other people for who they really are. Now, let's push this a little bit further um, now. The the wrath of God was poured out. The justice was mediated. Um, uh, On the cross, God is extending mercy and grace to millions of people. Mercy triumphs um, over judgment. Therefore, the Pharisees loved to point out the sins of other people. See, that was the yeast of... They were still in the yeast... The, the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes, they still had the law. They couldn't get this thing of God's love and grace. They couldn't get it. Bless their hearts, they just couldn't get it. They couldn't swim. You know, throw somebody in the deep end, they, just, they were just going down. They couldn't understand it. And, and the yeast of the scribes and the Pharisees is this, uh, this notion that if you're in sin, God's going to get you. God's a big bad, angry boogeyman. Well, guess what? My Bible says God sent His only Son to redeem people like us. Now, here's my point. The church has to stop looking at everything through the magnification of the 1,100 words and missing the one and misunderstanding the law and the gospel and stop placing on people a false, in fact, a... A, um, a prophetic word that is negative and wrong. Two, I'm going to watch my tongue here. Two people flew two aircraft into the Twin Towers. You remember the day I was working out at Gold's Gym, and I'm watching, and there's smoke's coming out, and I went, oh my goodness, what is this? Much of the church jumped to the conclusion that we really are in bad trouble because of our sin and God really is hopping mad. Now, is there sin? Yeah. Uh, Can God still be angry at sin? Yeah. But remember, God sent His Son to to extend mercy to millions, to in fact billions of people. Now, some of you might be struggling at these points because, um, well, if that's the case, I just encourage you to pray. Just go back to the Lord. Don't argue with me. Just go back and go, yeah, he was wrong. That's okay. been wrong before. But what I want to do is give you some uh, core values uh, out of which the kingdom emerges, the kingdom of God. Let me give you a couple of examples real quick. Um, uh, Peter came to Jesus and said... Um, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times. You remember the text in, uh, what is it, Matthew 18? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, Peter. Seventy times seven. Why? Because the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus shifts into kingdom mode and says, Peter, you've got a, you got a, you got a magnifying glass up on your brothers, and that is not the heart of your father. The kingdom of God is like a man that owed his, his uh, whatever, his boss, this huge sum of money. And he couldn't pay it. You know the story. He fell on his knees and said, forgive me. And the guy forgave him all of that debt. And then he went out and found somebody that owed him ten bucks. See, the kingdom of God is like a man who was forgiven enormous debt and then went out and found somebody that owed him ten bucks, Jerry and grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. You know the story. The kingdom of God. Now, I'm like that servant that wants to hold things against people that mess with me. You hear what I'm saying? Because of my magnifying glass and my 1,100 words keep me in that struggle if I'm not very careful because the kingdom of God isn't my understanding. Uh, So... Kingdom values, then, are important, core values. Let me give you another example. Um, John 8, I could give you hundreds of them and keep you here till 5 at night. I won't. There was a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Now, I don't know how that happens. You know, a husband could come home and discover something inappropriate, obviously, but I don't know that that was it. But anyway, beside the point. 
Uh, and, and they, the scribe or the Pharisees, drug her, probably ill-clad, threw this off, and they drug her to the, the center of the marketplace and found Jesus and said, the law says that we're supposed to stone somebody who's, who commits adultery. What do you think? I mean, just stone her. And some of us, if we're not careful, will go, she deserves to be stoned. Because the Pharisees like to point out the sin of everybody else. And Jesus just stooped down in the dirt. And you remember, he kind of squiggled in the dirt. Nobody knows what he wrote. We can conjecture, but we don't know what he And he said, okay, the law says stone that person, so get your stones. And the first one of you who is without sin, let him cast the first one. I mean, just whack her right between the eyes. And they began to drop their stones and walk away, beginning with the oldest. See, that's the gospel. Did she deserve to be killed? Yeah. How did God incarnate in the person of Jesus deal with her sin? He said, she's just like you guys. So those of you who are inherently, by nature, without any sin whatsoever, you hurl the first one. And they left. Well, there are a bunch of examples, and here are some core values that I want you to... Um, we must be careful how we process through the law. Uh, we must be careful not to prophesy out of the human spirit. I'm going to give you 12 principles as we end here. Um, core values of the king keep us from misrepresenting the heart of the king. Because the anger of man doesn't... How's that go? fulfill the righteousness of God, something like that. Every one of you is capable of getting angry at something or somebody because of their, and you fill in the blank. Every one of us. Now, Jesus said, I understand that. That's human. We want to cast those stones, but remember, the kingdom of God is like. You're the one. I'm the one who was forgiven the enormous debt in order that we can go and then release people from their indebtedness, though it's small in comparison to yours. You see, we live life and we see life through the log jam. The log jam is where Jesus said, why, do you don't, why don't you take the log out of your own eye so that you can see more clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye? We all got them. We all got logs, you see? So the kingdom of God then comes in and God begins to, to develop, um, gives us the heart of God, gives us the Spirit of God, gives us a transformed mind, the mind of Christ, and then on top of all of that, He sends His Spirit to actually live in each one of us. Which leads us to core value number one. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Core value number one is that God wants to speak to us more than we want to listen. I'm going to give you a couple of biblical illustrations. Genesis 1.1 said in the beginning, God spoke. Underline spoke. If God speaks, somebody listens. We hear. God spoke everything you see around you into existence. God said, and it happened. Fast forward to the New Testament, John's Gospel, the first verse. John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 said, and the Word that was in the beginning and was with God and was God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth uh, so that um, God if he is living inside of us and he is the spoken word that created everything if he's the living word who is now living with inside of, inside of us do you think it's a question rhetorical do you think God would come and live inside of you and never say a word to you? Come on, we're laughing at ourselves today, remember? We're laughing at ourselves. Now, let me give you an example. Some of you are married. Um, I'm married to this uh, gorgeous blonde back here, Cynthia. Would, do you think I would marry this woman and we would then begin to live together? What would happen if she never said a word? Somebody would say, well, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> there you go. Okay, Lee, you hammer it out afterwards. 
Now, what would be true if I married her and she married me and husband if I never said a word to her? Now, I'm being whatever it is, facetious and sort of funny, but we think God actually comes to live in the house and He never says a freaking word. Somebody ought to say, whew, i got to repent. But why? Because God wants to speak to us more than we want to listen. This is a kingdom core value. Now, when you're beginning this, what we're talking about this morning is hearing God. When you're beginning the journey, there's all kinds of uh, voices within us that will tempt us into being negative, but negativity isn't necessarily the heart of the Father. That is my only point. Now, secondly... All things that happen to me in this life uh, work in our favor when we love Him. That doesn't mean bad things don't happen. And I, I, I just weep with those who lose spouses and you know dads and moms and children and, and when circumstances are just crazy and weird and painful. I, I, I get all of that. But it all works together God's promise that all of it will work together to further uh, His life in us because of His love that He's put in our heart. All of it. When your wife's crazy and when she talks too much and when your husband, you know, it, all of it works together and God's working something in us. Now, number three, God loved us before uh, we loved Him. Now think about that for just a minute. God loved us before we loved Him. Now, God loved us before we loved Him. Before I loved Him, I was telling somebody before, between the services, we were talking about some of this. I said, I remember the day when I was standing, you know, in, in downtown Levittown in Puerto Rico. I had cut off blue jeans on and some kind of little top, and I was absolutely stoned. You know, smoking that stuff that's now legal in some states. And I was really ripped. And two couples, no, actually three couples, two couples and a, another person walked up to me and they began to tell me that Jesus loved me and died for me. And what was my, I know, wow, what was that? I said, wow, man. I said, we're far out. <laughs> Are you talking to me? <laughs> you know, Jesus loves me? You don't know me. You see, you, how can that be true? Here's the lens. You see, it can't be true because all of my past experiences were still screaming to me, the 1100's true for you, not the 100. The law, you deserve, all this stuff, and I'm, I'm interpreting myself and interpreting God and interpreting other people through that lens. But God took the seed of that word that Jesus loves you and died for you and stuck it right in the womb. That's a biblical analogy of my heart. And there was a germination period of time and it came to fruition and God gave birth in a sinner like me. Now let's go back some 30 years and who would have thunk, as they say? Who would have thought? That that guy, 21 years old, you know, smoking and, you know, doing all the stuff like that lifestyle. Get my picture. Who would have thought that God would have saved a wretch like him? That's the gospel. You see, that's the good news. God loved us before we loved him. Now, how dare we turn around and look at people who are still in darkness just like we were? Come on. Unless you're a, a religious zealot, unless you're a scribe who likes to point out the sins of other people, the kingdom of God is like. You see, all through the parables, we have been forgiven, and how dare we now um, criticize and judge other people for their sin? They're just like us. Now, I know some of you are sitting there going, you know, well, this can really lead to condoning sin. I get it. But I'm not that religious. I think, I think God actually uh, is far simpler than most of us make him. Jesus, you know, Karl Barth, one of the, probably one of the brightest theological minds ever, you know, he, one of his students said, uh, Dr. Barth, 
what's the most profound um, theological truth you know? And he looked at him and he said, Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible tells me so. You can do all of your theological gymnastics. You can do your reform stuff. You can do your Arminian stuff. You can do your I don't even know stuff. And all of it comes down to Jesus loves the world. And he's calling people out of it. So our message is to go and share the heart of the Father with those out there, not put the magnifying glass up to them out of our law mixture or our 1,100 out of the 1,200 and say, honey, you got a problem. You're living with this other hot little thing. That's called, and you go off into their sin. Now, does God have a problem with sin? Yeah. But does God have a solution for sin? Yeah. Now, how's he going to get her or them into the kingdom? By hearing the good news. I don't need the bad news. I, I get that. You know what I'm saying? I got my own glass by which I see myself. We need good news. That's why the love of God leads us to repentance, by the way. The love of God. Now, the church often prophesies out of this woundedness, out of this false prophetic negativity that has done tremendous damage around the world. Agabus was one example of it. I am not saying God doesn't have a corrective word. I am not saying God doesn't have a directional word. But what I am saying is when the people of God bring their mess to the prophetic task, we've got to be real careful because God's already dealt with that stuff. So core value number three, God loved us before we loved uh, him. Number four is fear is not a part of God's love and is not part of the kingdom ministry. I'm not talking about the fear of God, you know, the, the reverential awe of who God is. I'm talking about humans being manipulative and angry and controlling um, out, of, out of this notion of trying to fear people into the kingdom. They're going to our new member class, by the way, that all of you are invited if you're not yet part of. So fear isn't part of God's love. Fifthly, God has a plan for our welfare and God has a plan for our blessing. Now I'm just reiterating a number of core values uh, that are commensurate with uh, his word. Number six, uh, we are a special, holy, royal people and that causes us by necessity by genetic, you know, that's who we are, uh, to value what God values. And that's other people that rub you the wrong way, who have a sin that causes you to disdain them. Number seven, we're to overcome and overpower anything evil by nature of who we are. See, that's, that's who we are. We are not victims, Romans 8, uh, 37. The gospel is such that we are overcomers and can overpower. It doesn't mean it's hard or not hard. Now, the devil is evil and is behind all the bad stuff that happens in the world. Trying to make this just as kind of, you know. The devil's, um, the core value is that the devil is evil and he's the one behind all the bad stuff that happens. Can he modify and impact the natural arena like earthquakes? I don't, I don't know. Uh, can he cause buildings to... I don't know. But I do know this, that there is a very real enemy in the world and his mission is to scratch, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, against that, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, you see how important this core value is. If we prophesy out of this mixture that somehow God's angry and uh, every, everything that happens is, is God um, out of his anger trying to discipline us or chastise, I know this is hard for some of you. That's okay. Just pray and just say, okay, God, what is this for me? Number nine, we were born to rule through the kingdom ruling through us, through the king ruling through us. You were born into the kingdom 
in order that the king of the kingdom would rule through you. Royal priesthood, holy nation, chosen by God in order to rule in this life through Jesus now living his life in you, ruling through the likes of you. Come on, Peter, can you imagine Jesus living and ruling through the likes of you? Any more than I can? <laughs> Help me get around that. No, we have a hard time. We believe the gospel, all that, but can the gospel really be true? Well, yes, and we know it, but as we understand greater revelation of that good news, it becomes more than the mind can conceive. Number 10, we are now God's friends, uh, and he tells us his secret. That's what I shared last week for those of you who are here. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because the Father tells friends what's going on. And then number 11, signs and wonders follow those who believe. Not just Pastor Jim. Not just Dean. Pastor Steve. Signs and wonders, they follow us by virtue of who we are. We can't make it. We can't, you know what I'm saying? They just follow us, and they happen when we're willing. Remember what we're talking about? Hearing and speaking what we're getting and trusting God uh, with the result. And number 12, um, we have inherited the divine nature, um, and we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, that's Galatians 5.25, as we hang out with God. And this enables us to hear better. Now, what this is, is a foundational study, if you will, uh, to help us begin to comprehend how we hear in days to come. And today, what I've tried to say, let me summarize what I at least tried to say, is you've got to be careful that you don't use the lens of your own negativity or the lens of the law to understand the gospel and how we do ministry today, how we understand ourselves or how we understand other people or how we understand God. And uh, as we then come into understanding uh, the good news of the gospel, the new covenant, can you say that with me? The new covenant. Why was it new? It wasn't old. New is, is that the Jesus came to pay for the sins of us and to set us free and partner with us to do the very same thing he was doing. Well, uh, let's stand. I'm just going to pray for us. And for those, any of you who are here um, who, in fact, uh, would like to come to our new member luncheon, it's going to happen here in just a few minutes. I was supposed to tell you that before I started, but um, as Dean said, we're off the page. So you're invited now probably a more appropriate time anyway. I'm going to ask some of our elders to come, some of our prayer ministers, if you would come and just station yourself up here. And I just want to pray for us today. I know some of you are working through some of this. That's okay. But isn't it good news that we're not where we were? And isn't it good news that we're not yet where we're going to be? And if you think you already are, you got a bigger problem than probably most of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, giving us your word so that we can come to it and embrace your heart so that we can begin to see who we really are, who we can more appropriately um, understand who you are and then how we see the people around us who were just like us. Father, I pray today that you would begin to work a supernatural working of your spirit in, in every heart here. God, there's not a person here uh, who, is, who is already where they're going to be. So Lord, would you draw us into that uh, sweet spot of communion with your spirit and begin to help us to be uh, gripped by your word and cause us God to then allow you to make what changes that you need to make within each one of us Lord that's your heart and it's the love of God that leads us then into a place of repentance so God I pray that you would bless my brothers and my sisters here today and that if there are any of those here who are not yet 
fully persuaded of your love for them, God, that you would, by the revelation of your Spirit, just reach down and uh, draw them and invite them into that place of rest and security in your kingdom. God, thank you that you love the world enough that you sent Jesus to die when I was still part of it, the world. thank you that you're releasing us into a new place. We are a worshiping community in love with you because you first loved us and sharing your love then with those around us. Lord, let your blessings begin to flow. In fact, let the love of God be poured out. Let the grace of Jesus overflow in our lives. Allow the fellowship and closeness, the intimacy of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, Lord, be a rich inheritance as we steward your presence all these days of our lives. Now, church, whatever the Lord has spoken to you, God's spoken to some of you that you need to drop some things. You probably need to drop some things. God's spoken to some of you that you need to pick some things up. <laughs> you probably ought to pick them up. Whatever that means, I don't know. But I can promise you this. The love of God is greater than any of us have yet understood or could conceive. So God, would you bless these people today? Would you fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit and cause us, God, to be alive in a contagious church for your glory alone and all of God's people said together. Amen. You're dismissed. Come for prayer if you would like to do so or join us at our luncheon. God bless you.